Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. So this podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Paleo Valley, and I wanted to tell you about their grass-fed organ complex, which is like a supercharged multivitamin that allows you to get a full spectrum of traditional superfoods loaded with nutrients into your body faster, easier, and without having to tolerate the taste, or cooking for that matter. Grass-fed organ complex contains not one, but three organs from healthy, grass-fed, pasture-raised cows, so you are getting a more diverse array of nutrients. Most other similar products only contain one. It's usually liver, and it's spray-dried at high temperatures. The high temperatures damage the vital nutrients. You see, the ideal way to maintain the fragile nutrients and enzymes that are found in organ meats is to eat them raw. Again, most of us are not going to eat raw liver, so instead, Paleo Valley gently freeze-dries the organs in order to preserve as many of these nutrients as possible. You see, liver was coveted by our ancestors. When they killed an animal, they would go right for the liver or the heart first. Liver is considered the most nutrient-dense food on the planet. It's full of B vitamins, vitamin A, and minerals. You have heart. Again, heart was coveted as well. It's super rich in coenzyme Q10, which is so important for great energy and mental clarity. And then you also have the kidney that's in this organ complex, and that's very rich in selenium, which is great for the immune system. So when I think about the organ complex, I think about nutrients like B vitamins, B12, vitamin B2, vitamin A. You also have coenzyme Q10, you have selenium, zinc, copper. This is gonna really support your energy, your mental clarity, your immune system, as well as good, healthy skin. Guys, check it out. Go to paleovalley.com forward slash jockers and use the coupon code jockers for 15% off. Check this out today. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics. We're talking about fasting, intermittent fasting, extended fasting, I have got an expert, Ben Azadi, and he's going to be talking about tapping into your innate intelligence with fasting. And we're going to go through a lot of common fasting myths and really the truths about fasting, intermittent fasting, as well as extended fasting. A little bit about Ben. He is the author of four best-selling books, Keto Flex, which is a fantastic book that if you haven't read it, definitely check it out. Keto Flex. You can find that on Amazon. He also has written the Perfect Health Booklet, the Intermittent Fasting Cheat Sheet, and the Power of Sleep. And Ben has been the go-to source for intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet. He's the host of a top 15 podcast, the Keto Camp Podcast, another really good podcast to check out. The Keto Camp Podcast, guys, check that out. It won the Keto Podcast of the Year in 2022 by the Metabolic Health Summit. Ben has the fastest growing Keto Camp YouTube channel with over 150,000 subscribers. He also has a great TikTok channel with over 285,000 subscribers and over 46 million video downloads. 
So uh, just a wealth of knowledge, puts out really great content. I know you guys are going to love this interview. We talk about, again, the top myths surrounding fasting. We talk about the history of fasting and really the best strategies for how to apply intermittent, partial, and extended fasting. So you guys are in for a treat here. If you've not left us a five-star review, now is the time to do that. Just go to Apple iTunes, scroll to where it says, leave a review, leave a five-star review. When you do that, it helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thank you so much for doing that. And let's go into the show. Well, hey, Ben, always great to talk to another fasting evangelist like myself. Um, you know, I've seen the healing power of fasting and I know you have as well, and I'm excited about today's talk. I know you had mentioned really trying to discuss how fasting impacts the innate intelligence or how the innate intelligence goes to work when we're fasting. And can you break that down a little bit? What is the innate intelligence and what happens when we start to fast? Yeah. Well, I'm grateful to be here with you, David. I love what you're doing. I love this topic of fasting. I, I do believe the best way or one of the best ways to harness that innate intelligence. So you talk a lot about this, this inner physician we have, the the wisdom within the body. And there is an inner physician that God built inside of the body that is self-healing. And the truth is there's no pill or surgery or, or anything external that could replace the healing capabilities of this innate intelligence. And for many years, we thought it was just the DNA nucleus running the show. We learned that there's something that communicates with the DNA nucleus, and that is the intelligence. That's the cell membrane. It's the integrity of that membrane, uh, the cell wall. So fasting removes the interference. Uh, when we're eating constantly, like the average American is eating 300 grams of carbohydrates plus per day, and that alone is bad, but they're eating it throughout the entire day, pretty much every waking hour, and they're constantly starting that digestive process, number one. They're con number two is that they're constantly raising glucose and insulin, so they have these blood sugar roller coaster spikes. That eventually leads to leaky gut and insulin resistance, which leads to type 2 diabetes, which leads to a whole host of other health issues and complications. So with fasting, it's like nature's reset button. You eliminate the interference. You allow your digestive system to take a break. And I always talk about an analogy to help this make sense. It's like somebody who works a nine to five job there, let's say they're a corporate worker and they're working their butt off 40, 60 hour weeks every single week. And they own a house with the garage and this garage has compiled all this junk inside of it, but they don't have time. They have no time to clean out that junk because they're constantly working every single week. But now their boss has given them two weeks off. So they're at home a couple of days into this vacation and they're like, oh, I have all this time in my hand. Let me venture off to the garage and they start fixing things, cleaning up this garage, getting rid of this old junk that was sitting around there for years. And now you have this beautiful, functioning, incredible garage. And that's essentially what's happening when we fast. The innate intelligence goes to work and it looks for cells that are damaged and inflamed. It allows the digestive system to take a break and it goes and repairs it. But when we're constantly eating and starting that digestive process, we don't have time for that. It's like, okay, another project is started. We, we're going to have to work on that project. And then we're about to complete that project. Another project has come in. You got to keep working on it. So when you fast, you allow your body to reset, recover, and you allow this inner physician to go to work and take care of the junk that needs to be taken care of. Yeah, it's, it's so well said. And uh, I love that that idea of the, the inner wisdom within us, the inner physician within us going to work and healing and repairing our body. Now, a lot of people, and I used to think this too, uh, growing up, my parents, we they would have us fast, and I didn't start doing this until I was a teenager, but it was like one day out of the entire year, 
we would do a fast and it was for spiritual purposes. And I thought that is like the worst thing ever. I thought it was just horrible that I would waste, I would completely waste away. I have absolutely no energy at all. And like, in a sense, psychologically, I kind of psychologically set myself up for that. And a lot of people have this idea that if they go more than like three or four hours without eating, that they're going to have no energy and that they're actually going to lose. They're going to waste away. Their muscles going to waste away and they're going to feel awful. And so I really want to touch on some of these myths behind fasting. And so what has your, your, your experience been with that? I used to have the same thought process, especially like during the early days when I got into the, the health space 2008 or so. And it's still very popular in the fitness space that you will waste away. You're going to eat away at muscle, go into starvation mode. And yeah, let's let's debunk a lot of these myths. You know, with that um, mindset, sometimes your your thoughts could create the reality and the fact. So we want to go into it knowing that fasting is a healing tool. It's definitely a healing space to be in. And I like to put things in perspective when somebody is afraid of skipping a meal or going at least more than four hours without eating something. And I put it into perspective and I talk about this gentleman named Angus Barbary who did the Guinness World Record for the longest recorded water fast uh, many, many years ago, a Scotsman. He was 450 pounds, so the man was morbidly obese and he was medically supervised. And he had water, some electrolytes, coffee, tea, and some nutritional yeast. But essentially he didn't eat for 382 days. And he went from 300, uh, 450 pounds, excuse me, on day one to 180 pounds on day 382. And his electrolytes looked great. Blood work looked great. He felt great. Now, he had a lot of weight, a lot of energy on his body to, to be used for fuel. It's an extreme example. But that goes to show that somebody who's very lean, 10% body fat, has tens of thousands of calories on them. And when you don't eat, you essentially are going to use your body fat. That's, just, that's exactly what it is. It's stored energy. And the body's very smart. Uh, we talked about this innate intelligence already, but we have uh, this incredible human body that was built for, for thriving. And when we fast, the body's going to raise these counter-regulatory hormones. As insulin drops, these hormones that run counter to insulin increase. So glucagon, human growth hormone, the sympathetic tone essentially is activated. And Human growth hormone is one of those hormones that actually preserves muscle. It preserves lean muscle mass. It actually helps you uh, put, put lean muscle mass on. And that's your body's way of protecting your muscle when you're in a fasted state. Your body's going to go for your fat stores, not your muscle. That wouldn't be a very efficient mechanism if we automatically tap into muscle and protein. Uh, our ancestors would not have survived. They would have withered away. So we have amazing process that takes place. And there's a lot of research that shows this takes place in a fasted state. There was a one st uh, a study that came out, I believe it was 2013, uh, Science Daily, that showed a 24-hour water fast resulted in about a 2,000% increase in human growth hormone and a 1,300% increase in, in, in women. And the 2,000% was in men after about 24 hours. And that's because the body's preserving the muscle, not eating away at it. Yeah, and that's so important to understand is that you get this HGH release, which again, helps you preserve that lean body mass and actually creates an environment that if you do strength training can actually enhance your strength, enhance your muscle tissue. And uh, it's really powerful. And, and going back to that ancestral perspective, you know, when our ancestors didn't have food for, let's say a day or two, they didn't just lay in their beds. Instead, they actually, you know, in a sense, hunger was like a drive for them to become more creative in their hunting, in their gathering, in whatever the mechanisms they had to 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 access food, right? And so, um, so they they actually became harder to kill in a sense. They became stronger, more resilient through that that experience. 
And I think all of us have experienced it. It's like on Thanksgiving, we eat a huge meal. We're bringing in all this potential energy, but then how do we feel? Tired, right? And uh, and so when you start practicing intermittent fasting, you know it's it's one of those things you actually start to notice that you have better energy, better mental clarity. It's it's pretty amazing what happens. What are some of the other myths that you encounter that people have when it comes to to practicing fasting? Yeah, and and you're exactly right. You know, when you eat a big meal, like you turn it food coma. That's where the term food yeah. coma came from. It takes so much energy from you and resources and blood flow and now you're using that for digestion but when you're fasted that energy is diverted you talk a lot about that in your book and and your work um so yeah so another myth would be that men and women should practice fasting the same way and that that's not true because and, and we should also classify women in different parts of their life practicing in different ways as well like a menstruating women should practice fasting differently than a woman who's postmenopausal, and then a man should practice it differently than a woman because of different hormone fluctuations. We have the same hormones, but we have different fluctuations in those hormones. So men have this 24 hour recycling pattern of hormones, kind of like the sun. Sun comes out, it, sets, it's, it, it rises, it sets, 24 hour pattern. We kind of have a similar pattern with some of our sex hormones and, and uh, et cetera. So cycling women have this 28 day pattern where it's more like the moon that comes out after 28 days. So they have to do it a little bit different. So week by week, that would be a little bit different fasting schedule for a menstruating women. Uh, for example, the week before the period would be a week where probably that menstruating women does not want to practice too much fasting because they want to build progesterone, have a healthy monthly cycle. The period starts and then it's a good week for the fast to occur and do more aggressive fasting. So there's a big myth that men and women should do it the same. And that's not true. And in uh, fasting, unfortunately, it's good and bad. It's it's become very popular and that's a good thing. People are becoming aware to it because it's not new, it's just nuanced. But with that being so popular, people are saying women should not fast because it wrecks their hormones. And that's like saying women should not exercise because it wrecks their hormones. They're, they're saying fasting is a stress, so it's not good for you, especially women. It's the same thing as saying they shouldn't exercise because exercise is a stress. And you know this, David, it's about staying in that hormetic zone. Uh, stress is very important. You mentioned being harder to kill our ancestors. We want to be harder to kill. And stress is how you do that. Your body needs to adapt that stress but that's the thing it needs to adapt so stress is only bad when your body doesn't adapt but when it does adapt you get stronger you get healthier you live longer you feel better so i, I kind of threw in a few myths there but that's that's the next myth that i would want to cover yeah i think that's so important i, I mean it's kind of like the principle of overload in fitness so if you don't train your muscles atrophy or if you train too light your muscles will atrophy or they won't, you won't get the benefits where you actually have to challenge your muscles in a certain way where you are challenging them at their peak, uh, in a sense, overloading the, the, the amount of resistance that they can put out in order to then adapt, right? As long as you have enough nutrients and rest to then get stronger. It's kind of the same with fasting where, you know, you, ha you have to practice it and you've got to, in a sense, challenge your metabolic system in a healthy way to just kind of gradually bump it or give it a nudge, give your metabolic system a nudge. And then of course, rest, recover, provide the proper nutrients. So that way you can recover and get stronger through the stress like you were talking about. So that's so important. Um, any other big myths that you're seeing with fasting? Yeah, um, a lot of people say, you know, the benefits from fasting come from being in a caloric deficit. Hmm. That might be one benefit, but there is a big difference between fasting and a calorie deficit or cutting calories because with 
simply just cutting calories, for example, let's say somebody is cutting calories, but they're eating throughout the day. They're not getting that digestive reset, even though their calories are cut versus somebody who may cut their calories to the same amount. But with fasting, they do get that digestive reset. So there's a difference there with um, what it does for the gut. But I, I don't like to focus on calories because I think calories are more of a distraction. I think the body is much more sophisticated and complex than just calories in versus calories out. I do think calories matter, but I don't think they're high on the priority list. I think they're more of a distraction than anything else. And I had to do a whole 180 with that uh, because in the beginning, I used to teach all about the science of fat loss and teach people how to calculate their total daily energy and expenditure and be in a deficit. And it the problem with it is, is many problems, but one of the main problems is that it works short term. And the person thinks, okay, this is working. Cal- cutting calories does work. Ben's a liar. David's a liar. But over time, what's going to happen? The metabolism needs to adapt to the energy deficit. And then the metabolism slows and lowers. And then you got to cut your calories more. And you can only cut your calories so much. So with fasting, it's not necessarily about eating less. It's about eating less often. You could still be in a calorie deficit, but the cool thing about doing it with fasting is that you have the counter-regulatory hormones that preserve your metabolism and prevent your metabolism from going into this starvation mode. Granted, with excessive fasting, not good, but with the right amount of fasting, you, you talk about that and adapting to it and then getting the nutrients and enough protein during your eating window, you won't have that issue. The body is very, very smart, and there are studies that show the metabolism actually revs up during a fast, not decreases. And that's because of these counter-regulatory hormones. Yeah, that's good. And 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 what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making as they start to practice intermittent fasting? One of the biggest mistakes is that they think that they don't look at fasting as a muscle. And I do look at it as muscle. You mentioned that as well. So for example, if somebody was a couch potato for 10 years and they hear about the amazing benefits of CrossFit or these like Barry's Bootcamp, whatever it is, and they go, they do a full-on 60-minute workout that first day, they are going to hurt themselves. They're going to be sore for a week. They're going to feel awful. Similar with fasting. If you've been a sugar burner eating every two to three hours for years and you go and you hear about the benefits of of a 24-hour fast and you say, tomorrow is my day. I'm going to do a 24-hour fast. It's going to look ugly and feel awful because it's a muscle you haven't developed yet. So it's a big mistake to dive right into fasting. You want to build up that fasting muscle. One of the best ways to do that, and I know you teach the same thing, is to get fat adapted. Teach your body to burn fat instead of sugar. You do that in seven to 14 days. Do some variation of keto, a low-carb, high-fat. Get your body familiar with burning fat instead of sugar. Then you start pairing that with the fasting schedule and you start building up that that window with fasting. You start uh, um, uh, extending that window and you're going to notice the res- you're going to get the results that you're seeking because you you didn't go right into mm-hmm. it and and you know shock the body essentially. So that's a big mistake. People just do too much too soon. Yeah, that's super important. And so you talked about getting fat adapted. Can you expand upon that? And you said you can do it in about seven to 14 days. I know you're a huge advocate of the ketogenic diet. You, uh, you have the, 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 the great podcast, Keto Camp, and your book, Keto Flex, where you teach people really how to do that, how to get into a fat-adapted state. Let's talk about the importance of that and, and how somebody goes about uh, getting into that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do see it as a really important first step for somebody who's burning sugar. Let me explain what that means. The average person, as I mentioned, is consuming 300 grams of carbs plus per day. 
and eating frequently, they're constantly burning sugar and glucose. They're, they're in this sugar burning state. And when we think about the 70 trillion cells or so inside of the body, we have two major pathways for energy, sugar or fat. In other words, glucose or ketones. The majority of people in some studies, um, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, came out with that study in 2018 that said about 88% of American adults are essentially metabolically unhealthy. And I would categorize them as being a sugar burner. So what we want to do is teach these individuals to switch energy sources to burn fat and use ketones. And as we, how we do that is pretty straightforward. We want to gradually decrease our total carbohydrates. So if that, if you are listening to this, watching this, and you are consuming 300 grams of carbs per day, Let's gradually decrease that every single day until we lower that under 50 total grams of carbs per day. Some people need to go lower, but we'll say 50 grams of carbs per day. And as you're doing that, you're increasing healthy fats, saturated fats, monounsaturated fats. You're increasing healthy dietary protein as well. And in about seven to 14 days and keeping your electrolytes up at the same time, which is very important, in about seven to 14 days, your body's going to make that switch. We're now you're burning body fat. Those fatty acids are now being sent to your liver. Your liver is using it and producing ketones. And you talk all about this in your work and in, in books, David. So that is somebody who's uh, fat adapted. At that point, and you could test, by the way, your blood ketones, if it shows 0.5 or higher millimoles per liter, you're essentially in ketosis and you are fat adapted. And you can do that in seven to 14 days. And once you achieve that, then I would start pairing in some fasting schedules with that. So how would you recommend somebody get started with that to get fat adapted? Like, should they start by intermittent fasting? What's kind of like your first steps with that? The first step would be the carbohydrate decrease mm. and then remove the snacking. Have your three meals per day. Instead, if you're doing six meals a day, so let's say you're doing three meals and three snacks, stick with just three meals. And then every day, um, track your macros in terms of your carbohydrates and keep lowering those carbs until you get to under 50 total grams of carbs per day. I also talk about the 2222 rule, which I got actually from a mutual friend of ours, my mentor, Dr. Pampa. And this is a good strategy for a beginner. And you want to hit this rule every day for until you get into ketosis and get fat adapted. So it's two tablespoons of olive oil and avocado oil every day, two tablespoons of grass-fed butter or grass-fed ghee every single day, two tablespoons of coconut oil or MCT oil every single day, and then two teaspoons of um, sea salt every single day. As you lower the carbs, hit that 2222 rule. And then once you verify that you're in ketosis, then I would maybe eliminate the breakfast and have lunch and dinner, which you're doing like a 16-8 fast, or the opposite way, you could have breakfast and lunch and eliminate the dinner, whatever works better for your schedule. Yeah, that's great. That's how I teach it as well. I think, you know, that's kind of an easy way to, to gradually move into it. As your body gets fat adapted, you have less, you have less hunger and cravings. You know, I always say like, I very rarely am actually hungry. Usually I don't actually notice hunger until I start eating. And then my body yeah, says, same oh, thing. okay, it's eating time, right? Yep. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I need, yeah. I need to get my calories now. And that's when you don't, you don't have to think about calories because your body's going to give you the right the right idea as far as how much you need to 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 consume and you know there there are some people that when they start practicing fasting they have a tendency to overeat a little bit and they might notice symptoms like their energy goes down a lot after they eat or they have digestive issues things like that and so that would be a sign hey maybe cut it down just a little bit right and so you kind of have to listen to the feedback that your body's getting are there any tips that you give as people are reducing the amount of meals they're consuming 
and and consolidating their 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 eating window and maybe consuming a little bit more calories in in their meals because they're only cons- eating maybe two or three times a day so they're eating a larger amount when they do eat are there any tips that you give to help improve digestion to help improve energy between meals or like right yes. after their meal yeah i i like focusing on protein as the main macronutrient with those meals and mm. I would say aim to get about 40 grams of protein at at, a, at least two of those meals and you should be in good shape. Protein is so important. Um, the amino acids, they're essential amino acids, right? They're essential fats, essential amino acids. There's no such thing as essential carbohydrates. Interesting, right? Yeah. Not that we're saying you should <laughs> never have carbs. I'm just saying they're not essential. The body can manufacture glucose from protein and fat, um, which is super cool. But yeah, uh, focus on protein. And now let's say you're eating more protein, but it's kind of sitting in your gut that's a sign of uh, low stomach acid and you want to build up the stomach acid. And you could do that with um, taking some HCL supplementation or some apple cider vinegar. So that's the sign that it's more of a, a problem with breaking down protein if it sits in the gut. If you get more loose stools, and David, you talk about this, if you get more diarrhea, loose stools, that's more of a problem breaking down fat and that's where you want to support the liver and the liver's ability to produce bile. So maybe incorporate more bitters, maybe take an ox bile supplement, maybe do some things like a castor oil pack or coffee enemas, but that'll signal more liver support. And, and one more thing I would recommend, keep your electrolytes and your, your minerals up, especially during the fast, because as you fast, your body is going to lower insulin, which is a good thing for, especially for a lot of people. And as you lower insulin, you release all this um, extra body weight and you shed extra body weight, which is really good. You're going to feel lighter and look lighter, but the kidneys also will shed some electrolytes too. And sometimes if it happens too aggressively, you might get a headache, your energy levels might drop. So just keeping those minerals and electrolytes up during the fasting window is going to be very important. Yeah. I think that's a really important caveat. Most people out there have heard salt is bad. And especially if they have like a tendency towards maybe they have a family history of high blood pressure or cardiovascular disease. A lot of times just preventatively, their doctor will put them on a low salt diet And a low salt diet can be helpful if you have insulin resistance, because when you have high insulin, you retain sodium. But as you are getting fat adapted and doing intermittent fasting, you're actually getting insulin sensitive and your overall insulin levels go down, which is, like you mentioned, extremely healthy. And this is what most people out there, you mentioned 88%, you know, so almost nine out of 10 people in our society actually need to lower the amount of insulin in their blood. When they do that, you start to excrete sodium. And that's what you were talking about. So replacing that, getting the sea salt, you mentioned two teaspoons, um, two teaspoons each day, right? Um, or two table, yeah, two teaspoons. Yeah, the so teaspoons sure, of salt, yep. Yep, so making sure you're getting enough of that, getting enough trace minerals, right? And there's a lot of good trace mineral rich foods that we both love, um, that we talk about a lot in our books. And when we're doing that, now we're replacing those and that's gonna help you with energy. A lot of times when people are, going through this fat adaptation process and they don't feel good, a lot of it's because they don't have the salts, right? They're they're actually electrolyte and sodium deficient and that will cause a condition called keto flu, right? Where you actually feel really awful. And I know you've probably seen a lot of people experience this. Yeah, exactly. And it really is more of like carbohydrate withdrawal symptoms. Um, But that's exactly what what the major cause of it is. It's a dramatic decrease in those electrolytes. So day one, keep the sea salt up, keep the electrolytes and minerals up, and you don't have to go through the suffering. You don't have to experience the keto flu as long as you do this the right way. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about Carbon 60 and my friends over at Shop 
C60.com. If you haven't heard of Carbon 60, otherwise called C60, it is a powerful Nobel Prize winning antioxidant that helps to optimize mitochondrial function, fights inflammation, and neutralizes toxic free radicals. Now, I'm a big fan of using C60 in conjunction with a healthy lifestyle to support your immune system, help your body detox, and increase energy and mental clarity. If you were over the age of 40, you cannot find a better antioxidant to support your energy and your mental clarity. So if you want to kick fatigue and braid fog to the curb this year, visit shopc60.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 15% off your first order and start taking back control over your health today. Again, that's shopc60.com. The coupon code is JOCKERS, J-O-C-K-E-R-S. That will save you 15% off. Check out Carbon 60, C60 today. You mentioned protein and getting 40 grams of protein. And I know I'm a huge advocate of that as well. I'm usually eating two meals a day, sometimes three with like a, a third one. And I'm always getting 40, 50 plus grams of protein in all of my meals. Really helps me feel great. Takes away any sort of cravings. I feel really mentally clear, great energy after my meals. And I just feel fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm stronger now at, at 41 than I you know ever was, really, honestly, even in my early 20s, I feel better than ever. And really dialing in the protein has been key with that. However, in the longevity world, protein can have a, you know, there's kind of this bad rap, you know, people will look at bodybuilders and they'll say, well, you know, they're, they're amplifying this pathway mTOR, this kind of growth pathway in the body, and they're doing it too much. Right. And so how does kind of this sort of nutrition plan where we're prioritizing protein when we're eating, but also we're taking breaks away from food, how does that help us with our mTOR and keeping mTOR under control? It's a great question. And you're right. You know, that is a problem. When we look at bodybuilders, I think I was reading a stat that showed the average bodybuilder lives about 12 years less than the average person. And, and people blame that on mTOR. Um, and mTOR, this mechanistic target of rapamycin, this anabolic growth pathway, it's very important in spurts, it's very healthy in spurts. But when you're constantly in a growth uh, pathway, this sensor, this turned on all the time, it's going to signal growth, growth, growth. And sometimes it can signal growth to cells we don't want to grow and duplicate. So that's the problem with too much mTOR. The opposite of mTOR is autophagy, uh, which is more catabolic and repair. And you get that with exercise. You get that with fasting. And autophagy is, is such an incredible process. Again, the innate intelligence going to work and looking for cells that are not working properly and trying to fix those cells. And if, if it has determined a cell is uh, not functioning at all, this a senescent zombie cell, it'll send a signal to get rid of the cell altogether via apoptosis and then go another step and create a stem cell, which is amazing. All this is happening during a fast. So with the protein, uh, if you're having your uh, right amount of protein during your eating window, and then you're going and pairing that with a fasting schedule, you're getting a proper balance now of mTOR growth and spurts and then autophagy catabolic repair. So that is the, the magic. We, it's, it's a delicate dance between both these pathways, mTOR and autophagy. They have an inverted relationship. So if mTOR is activated, autophagy is deactivated and vice versa. So we don't want too much autophagy and too much fasting, and we don't want too much mTOR and too much growth. That's where pairing an intermittent fasting schedule with a feasting schedule with enough protein is where the magic happens. Yeah, great explanation. And I think that's, you know, that's the advantage of the way that I teach it, the way that you teach it in your Keto Flex book. 
is we are getting the, the, the benefits of both because there's a lot of people in the longevity space that really, really prioritize autophagy. And I, I totally understand why autophagy is an amazing mechanism. And most people in our society are autophagy deficient, meaning their body is not undergoing this, this process of cellular healing and repair. And so most people need to prioritize that for a certain period of time. But too much autophagy is just as bad as too much mTOR. Your body wastes away. And we know that as people age, a big condition they deal with is sarcopenia, where they lose muscle tissue, bone tissue. And if we are overdoing the autophagy, we're wasting our system away. And I think one of the most important things we can do is build lean body tissue and then do everything we can to keep it and to keep it functioning at a really high level. And I think what you're talking about there, where it's like this feast famine cycle, right? And I know you call it keto flex, where we're undergoing this period of autophagy and also periods where we are elevating mTOR so we can build, maintain muscle mass. Um, I think that really works perfectly with giving us kind of the, what, what our goals are, which is to have great health, great, you know, a great, great functioning brain, lean body tissue so we can pick up our, our you know, great, great grandchildren when we're 94 years old, right? And, um, you know, do all the things we want to do and, and live into our 90s without any medications. Yeah, that is the ultimate goal right there. And the, the, the balance is very, very important. We, the problem is this, and, and I'm, I was guilty of this when I first started to get into fasting in 2013. You feel so good when you fast, at least I do, and you fall in love with it. You hear about all the benefits of autophagy and what it does for the gut and for fat loss and for the brain and BDNF, and, and you want more. And, and more is not necessarily better, right? So you got to balance it out. Feast, famine, cycling, David, you nailed it, right? That is what our cells are hardwired to do and how, to, how our cells thrive. There's a time to fast, and when we fast, we fast. There's a time to feast, and when we feast, we feast. We get enough protein, healthy mm -hmm. food. It's important to balance out both. And I don't know, I'll, I'll ask you this question, David. With fasting being so popular, I have found in my community, I'm telling more people to feast versus before I was telling them more so to fast. Have you found the same thing? Yeah, I think that is important. A lot of, like you said, a lot of people will go overboard with this. I mean, I did too. I, I remember, you know, I felt so good. I was doing two 24 hour fasts a week and I felt great, like brain function. I felt like the best I had, I had ever felt. I felt so good. And I did this for, I don't know, a year and a half. And I was kind of in my second year of doing this. And I'm like, I don't like with my workouts towards the end of my workouts, I was just feeling really fatigued, taking, having to take longer periods of time between sets. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm maximizing my strength potential. And I stopped doing that. And I only do it once a week now, which I think for me works perfectly. Uh, one 24 hour fast a week. In fact, I just did it from lunch Wednesday to lunch Thursday, finish it with a workout. And um, I actually am exercising. I'm working out more and feeling amazing, recovering better. My sleep scores are better. I've added uh, like seven pounds of muscle, feeling really, really good. So I think all of us, you, you, you do feel so good when you get fat adapted. And I think that's something that the listener really needs to understand. When you practice this the, the right way, you're going to feel good. And sometimes you're going to press into it because you are feeling so good. And, it, it, you know, you've got to, you always have to have a radar and, and be listening to the messages your body is giving you and experiment with different things. I think that's important to understand that perhaps there was a certain approach that you took that uh, that helped you feel great, but you might need to tinker it. It doesn't mean like a, a radical change, but even just kind of small changes 
and constantly listening to the feedback that your body's giving you to really, you know, find the best approach for you, at least at this period of time in your life. I know, like, for, for example, when we had, when we had babies, so my, my wife and I, we're done having children now, but we had four children, okay. uh, four and five and a half years, including twins in the beginning. And I was working out seven days a week when wow. we first started. And with the twins, it was like, I was getting like four or five hours of sleep at night and it was not good sleep. And I just was so overtrained and I was feeling inflamed all the time, having trouble focusing, concentrating, just massive fatigue at times. And I realized I'm way overdoing it. I'm not recovering well enough. I need to dial down the exercise. So if we're under extreme amount of stress, we might feel good when we're fasting. And then all of a sudden we hit a really stressful season of our life. We might need to dial it back a little bit because again, fasting is a stressor. And so the more stress we're under, you know, we can only handle so much amount of stress on our system. We might need to dial it back. We might be overtraining. So we always have to watch for feedback from that. And you're right. In our communities, we tend to, we tend to get people that start this. They have a great experience with it. And that's one of the reasons why they love following us. And they keep pressing into it because they're hearing about all these great benefits. And they, in some cases, they're doing too much of it. That's exactly what I did. And um, because you, you, you're right, you feel so good, but you got to listen to the body like you did, David. You felt inflamed. And yeah, seven days a week, getting four to five hours of sleep, of course, you're not going to be able to recover and adapt to those stressors. One of the things I personally use and what I teach my students is a good gauge to know if you're fasting too much or not. Number one, like you said, pay attention to the clues and the signals your body's giving you. Number two, I like looking at heart rate variability as a good gauge to see if my nervous system is. Um, to challenge, right? Uh, I love, I have the aura ring. I think you do too, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So when I see my heart rate variability tank, I know that uh, I applied too much stress. It could have been mental stress. It could have been too much of a fast physical stress. And that's a day for me not to apply a lot of stress. So it'll be more of a feast day, more light activity versus a heavy training session. So I look at HRV, but if I see my HRV uh, increase or you know hit baseline, uh, for me around 65-ish is like my baseline, this morning I woke up and it was 72. So it was actually a little bit higher than my baseline. So today I did a good workout in a fasted state. I did sprints. I did some bench press because I saw that and I felt good and I used that as a good gauge. But if I would have saw my HRV tanked to like 42 and I would have probably felt off as a result, I wouldn't have done the same workout or the same fasting schedule. Yeah. So you're getting that feedback. And again, not only do you can you just listen to your body, but also you can actually look at your heart rate variability. Like you were talking about, the aura rings are great. Uh, a great instrument to use, just a ring that you wear at night. It will actually track your deep sleep, your REM sleep. It will look at um, your your heart rate variability, like you mentioned, which is kind of like the gap between the heartbeats. And a lot of people think, well, it's that gap between the heartbeats, the space between the heartbeats should be the same all the time. But it's actually not true. Your Your adaptability and resilience, one way to measure that is the heart rate variability actually should be very variable, should be should be highly variable. And that's a sign of better adaptation. It's really interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I, it's such a good gauge, right? If we think about the nervous system, and I mean, you study this in school, right? The nervous system yeah. is so important. Those two primary branches, that sympathetic branch, which is that fight or flight, very important in spurts, just like mTOR. And then the parasympathetic, more rest, digest, very important in spurts. A lot of people, including myself, was I, were, I was locked into sympathetic and I was doing a lot of fasting. I was doing, I had a CrossFit gym I owned several years ago and that's not good. It, it needs to be balanced with more parasympathetic and that heart rate variability is giving you 
that gauge, that uh, score, if you are adapting to the stressors. Everybody's going to have a different average and a different baseline. So don't compare, you know, I, I shouldn't care, compare my HRV to David's and vice versa, but you find your, your average, your baseline for maybe seven days, and then you work on building it up over time. And if you have days where it's tanked, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, by the way, because you could have done a good workout and then it lowered the HRV. But if that's a day for recovery, and then over time, it actually could pull it back up because of that stressor. So look at it as a gauge and pay attention to your body. And those are going to give you some good clues to whether or not you're fasting too much or you're in a good sweet spot. Yeah, really good point. What are your top recovery strategies for people to practice? Ah, oh, good question. Number one is uh, my favorite supplement in the world called vitamin G. Uh, this supplement <laughs> is anti-inflammatory, helps with oxytocin and GABA. I mean, I found studies that show vitamin G lowers A1C, lowers blood pressure. I looked at some of Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and he's done some brain scans and he's seen 1,200 chemical reactions take place when participants mm. take vitamin G. So vitamin G, you can't get at Amazon or your supplement store. It's the practice of gratitude. And it, it really acts like a vitamin, a supplement because it's so anti-inflammatory and it's gonna put you in a parasympathetic state soon as you feel the gratitude. Not a checklist, meaning don't treat it like a checklist. You probably won't get the same benefits, but feeling the gratefulness, feeling the gratitude. What an amazing way to instantly put your body into a recovering parasympathetic state. So some simple ways to do it. If you have trouble digesting food, as you sit there and look at your food, think about all the things that went into getting that food right in front of you. The animals that fed off the earth, the transportation, the company that was delivered to your house, however it got there, like all the moving parts for you to feed and uh, on that food and to thrive in your life and, and feel that gratitude. Like that puts you in a parasympathetic state and actually helps with digestion. And then right before bed is another really good time to practice vitamin G because the subconscious mind is really uh, highly impressionable. So vitamin G, number one, I have some more, but I don't know if you wanted to add to that, David. No, I love that. I mean, vitamin G, just that gratitude. If you could bottle that up, that would be blockbuster. You know, that would be the the yeah. the single best drug that uh, that pharma, pharma has ever created, ever. Right? Yeah, so true. <clears throat> but you can't bottle it up, and it's free. You and can. the cool thing, it's free, and you can choose to ha choose it at any time. You can choose it at any time, and you can't overdose. There's no upper limit. So mm. that's number one. Number two would be uh, something that's very important for health is to live a life on purpose with your purpose. Find out what your highest values are. I know Dr. John Demartini is somebody that I freaking love. Have you studied Dr. John Demartini? Yeah, I've, I have. Yeah, I've, I've heard of him. Yep. Yeah, he's incredible. He talks so much about your highest values and the Greeks call it your telos. Uh, and there's a whole study on this called teleology, the study of purpose and um, uh, highest values. And when you are living incongruent with what's important to you, you are in a healing state. And so many people are doing things because it's what's expected of them. And that's an inflammatory state. It's very hard to feel happy and healthy when you're doing things that are, you're not designed to do. So finding a life of purpose is very important. I know that's outside the scope of this conversation, but I had to throw that in there. But some practical things in terms of like biohacking, uh, red light therapy, big fan of red light therapy. I've got a panel here. I've got two panels yeah. upstairs. So yeah, photobiomodulation. Again, more is not better. Find a good sweet spot for red light therapy. Grounding, which could also be called vitamin G, which is simply your bare feet on the uh, sand, the dirt, the grass on earth, essentially just grounding. It's really important. It's like taking a handful of antioxidants. I utilize a PEMF mat. 
which is similar to the benefits of grounding as well. Funny movies, things that get oxytocin going, great for recovery and sleep, uh, quality, deep yeah. sleep and REM sleep. Like I aim to get at least an hour and a half of each, each night are very important for recovery. Yeah. All really great strategies. I also like just, you know, if you have a family, significant other, a pet, just cuddling, getting that oxytocin release, uh, super powerful, really helps you heal and recover getting out in the sun. You know, you mentioned red light and infrared. I know for me, <clears throat> I feel best when, uh, when I'm getting like 30 minutes of good quality sun on a daily basis just helps so much. Um, so I think that's another great strategy. Some people will do, you know, infrared sauna. I think that's fantastic. I do it from time to time as well. You can overdo that as well, especially uh, if you yeah. got it really cranked up and really hot. Yeah. Um, and same with, with, with cold plunges, cold showers, things like that. I think it's very helpful. It's something I practice, but again, can be overdone, you know, and, and we have a society where, um, you know, there's some people that are, that it's, it's interesting because in our society, some people are very adverse to doing anything that's uncomfortable. And then there's other people that are like, oh, it's uncomfortable. Give me more. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's yeah. like, got to find the right balance. Yeah, so true. It's, it's just an important point. Uh, in the biohacking space, it's the latter, right? Give me more, give me more. Yeah. If you ask the average um, uh, cold plunge coach or whatever you want to call them, breathwork coaches who do a lot of cold plunging, you ask them, all right, how long should I do it for? And they're going to tell you that most of them are going to tell you three minutes. And that is not the right answer. Like somebody who's really challenged with their mitochondria and their health yeah. should not do three minutes, right, David? They, maybe they should do 30 seconds and then build right. their way up. Exactly. I think the most important thing to ask yourself is how did you feel the rest of the day after that sauna, after that red light, after that cold plunge, after that fast, after that workout, whatever it was, if you felt better and more energized, you found a good rhythm, you found a good yeah. length, a good duration. But if you feel more depleted, you did too much. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing interview. Amazing stuff. Really great tips, Ben. This has been awesome. Guys, check out his book, Keto Flex, and also his podcast, keto camp really really good stuff that he's putting out ben any any last words of inspiration here for our audience yeah i know thank you david i've been a huge fan of your work for so many years and it's an honor to call you a friend my last bit of advice would be you know believe the body was built to be self-healing it really is and if you believe you'll create that fact but if you believe it wasn't you're also right where choose where you want to put your energy into and what where you put your energy into expands so faith and fear both demand for you to believe in something you cannot see, you choose. The choice is yours. So I encourage you to choose faith and believe that your body is built to be self-healing. And fasting is one of the ways to harness that self-healing mechanism. Love that. Ben Azadi, thank you so much. You're an inspiration. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.